0: hi and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter we're at Hope Springs Cop. Thank you and enjoy. Hi hey everyone my name's Steve I'm from Hope Springs Church and I'm here with the very last episode episode 12 of our Live Invisible series. Uh, We've absolutely loved putting this series together. It's been a real challenge to us, um, a real inspiration to us as well. We hope you've enjoyed it too. Um, I'm equally very excited about this last episode, uh, which is entitled Live Invisible Towards Our Enemies. Um, So we'll jump straight into it and I hope you enjoy the last episode of this series. So a bit of a recap before we get into today's message. Um, Over the last 12 weeks, we've been looking at how we've been called to follow Jesus' example, and to live visible, to demonstrate what God is like um, in the spaces and the places and to the people who we meet and we interact with and we know. Um, That Jesus came to be the image of the invisible God and he's calling us to do exactly the same thing and he's also enabled us to do that. That it's a huge ask, it's a big ask that he's placed with us but he's also given us everything we need to be able to live that task out to be able to do what he's calling us to do, whether it's live visible in our homes with our families and those closest to us like our friends, um, or whether it's kind of acquaintances or, or strangers or people in our neighbourhood or in, in our city or whatever it may be, all the way to the very extremes and the edges um, of society and of our potentially of our reach. Um, and today we're going to look at that very last section of that, we're going to look at um, how we live visible and how we love well those who we might consider enemies. I am still here, don't worry, your screen hasn't broken and gone blank. Um, I just thought I'd set the scene because we're exploring today living visible towards our enemies and that's probably one of the most challenging and the most difficult things we've talked about so far. Though there's definitely been challenges along the way but I think living visible towards our enemies, those people who we don't understand, who don't like or who have done us harm is an incredibly difficult ask that Jesus presents before us. Now sometimes because Jesus talks about loving our enemies so much or he demonstrated it in the way that he died on a cross we sometimes perhaps think we understand it but I think part of the freedom comes when we realise actually the enormity and the offensiveness of the ask that Jesus presented before us and secondly that he enabled us to be able to do this and that perhaps As we start to understand both those things. To accept the gravity and the radical nature of the call he's given us. But equally accept that he has given us everything we need to be able to do it. That maybe, little by little, we start to see things more clearly. And the light starts to dawn even in these most extreme spaces. So the first thing we need to do to help hopefully this light shine in this most extreme space of loving our enemies, is to actually look at what Jesus was asking us to do. And we can see an example of this um, ridiculously offensive and radical message that Jesus shared, when he shared the same thing in his hometown of Nazareth. And we pick up this story in Luke 4, and what we find is Jesus sharing this message about loving your enemies, about loving those most extreme to where you're at. And the response of everyday people, just like you and me, to Jesus' message is to want to throw him off a cliff. Now, thankfully, we're doing this over video today, so I'm not going to be thrown off a cliff. But I think there's something significant in us understanding why they wanted to throw him off a cliff when he started to share this. And it makes us question that if it doesn't cause a reaction in me, this message, if it doesn't cause a kind of that gut thing of saying, I just can't do that, that's not fair, then maybe we're not fully understanding it. Maybe we're not fully comprehending the gravity of the message that Jesus shared about loving your enemies. And therefore maybe that's something that stops the light illuminating that space for us. Because we're not really aware of what he's asking us to do. And so we pick up this story in Luke 4 where it says this. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue Now, that's a nice message, isn't it? One about freedom and liberty and release from oppression and all those kind of things that we associate with with positive messages, the things that Jesus came to do. So why did that cause the people he knew wanting to throw him off a cliff? Well, the key is in not what Jesus read, but what he didn't read. And you can see on this image just here the quoted bit from Luke 4, the bit that Jesus read. And the second thing you can see is that the bit in Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, where Jesus read from, the book of Isaiah. And as we read through, we can see that there's a lot of similarities between these two. We go line by line and we can see that there's, there's pretty much match word for word, line for line. There's a few different terms and things that we might find there, but pretty much communicating the same message. That is until we get to the very last line and on that line we see that Jesus didn't quote and the day of vengeance of our God in actual fact Jesus didn't just forget to quote that he didn't just get stage fright and think I don't know what I'm doing I need to just close up and finish up early he intentionally closed the book on the vengeance of God and by realizing that we start to understand the radical nature of what Jesus is calling those with him in Nazareth and us today to do when he's calling us to love our enemies. Now this is some kind of Enders Christmas special kind of level drama going on right here. That Jesus closed the book on vengeance. That he has gobsmacked his entire audience. That they don't know what he's doing. He's missed out the best bit. The bit where... God, the hero, brings vengeance on the enemies of the Jewish people that Jesus is reading this thing to. That, that's the best bit, Jesus. That's the bit, that's the twist at the end. That's the thing that defines the whole story that we suffer for years and generations. And then God comes in, the Messiah comes in, and he rescues us. He doesn't just rescue us, he brings vengeance on our enemies. And so he's got this audience in the synagogue now fixed on him. What is he doing? Now, to us, non-Jews that might be quite difficult to understand except when we start to contextualize it in some ways that we might start to get an idea around such as Imagining Harry Potter defeating Voldemort and the feeling we had when that happened or maybe Frodo destroying the ring or if you're an Avengers fan like me when Iron Man snapped Thanos out of existence or perhaps to bring a bit closer to home when Hitler or another oppressive dictator was finally overthrown the feelings connected to that space of liberation and freedom for the people or maybe even closer when we see a corrupt politician be caught out for breaking the rules themselves or just not win an election or maybe a local criminal that's terrorized our neighborhood with thievery or with just misbehaviour or just kind of torment finally get arrested or maybe that bully in your workplace at primary school uh, again in your family maybe that finally is dealt with that when we imagine those kind of situations that when we understand how we feel about those kind of situations we start to understand what it would have been like for the jewish people to hear jesus change the story so if you imagine those scenarios not turning out the way that that we hoped they would thanos not being defeated hitler not being overthrown the bully not being dealt with and imagine that but over thousands of years generation after generation of oppression of persecution of the enemy always winning out of the good guy never kind of having his day of victory or if it is it's so fleeting that it's then overthrown by the next victory of the bad guy because Jesus's Jewish audience are the good guys in this story that God is on their side and and he's there to take vengeance and bring revenge on their enemies so when Jesus removes the line about God coming to take vengeance and coming to deal with their enemies that's a big deal that's him rewriting the story that's him changing the narrative so what does Jesus do in this situation what does he decide to do when he's already angered and frustrated people well Jesus wanting to make sure that people understand the significance and the radical nature of his message he ups the drama even more not only does he remove the line about God coming to take vengeance on the enemies of the Jewish people but he actually starts to say that he is that fulfillment that he is the one he is the Messiah that that's come to enact everything he quoted in Luke 4 except he's not come to bring vengeance on the enemies of Israel he's not come to bring vengeance on the Jewish people's enemies this guy from Nazareth who who they know and so you can start to understand why there's an anger brewing why there's an offense brewing in this place he's changed the story and now he's saying he's the Messiah that's come to fulfill the prophecies but not in the way that they thought he'd come to fulfill or the Messiah had come to fulfill you can almost hear the conversations taking place, can't you? Where they're starting to say things like, Did he just actually do that? Surely not. Why would he leave that bit out? That's the best bit. Why would he choose to end the story there? Doesn't he know that good always defeats evil and the kicker in verse 22 isn't this joseph's son you see this comment about jesus being joseph's son there's nothing to do with familial um, connections oh we know joseph this is his son it's more to do with the fact that they know the stories that mary jesus's mother shared about having an immaculate conception how jesus was born out of wedlock and therefore is a bastard and therefore in this context, this guy is standing up and he's rewriting one of their favourite passages of scripture from Isaiah. He's rewriting the story and changing the narrative. And But this is Josephson. This guy's not okay to do that. And so what is Jesus doing? The quiet, reserved and kind of shy Jesus. He obviously ups the ante again. And he starts to contextualise what he's talking about, to give examples of what he means about What God is coming to do. And he says this. You will surely say to me this proverb. Physician heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum. Do also here in your country. Then he said. Assuredly I say to you. No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zalepheth in the region of Sidon. To a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. You see Jesus by picking up these two examples of Naaman the Syrian and and the widow is pointing to the fact that the acceptable year of the lord the favor of god the goodness of god is not just coming to jewish people to the nation of israel but it's also coming to non-jewish people people who are not part of that nation that the acceptable year of the lord that the goodness of god is for all people that basically he's dipping into the idea that god sends the sun to shine on the evil and the good That he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That this blessing, this goodness of God is there to overflow to all the world. Now there's two people in this story. The widow and Naaman the Syrian. Now this, this widow has lost her son. She has no money, no source of income because her son has died. And she's in a famine. She's pretty much hit rock bottom. And even from a jewish perspective it's probably much easier to understand why elijah might have gone to her to help her out in this dire situation um, even though she wasn't jewish even though she wasn't in naaman on the other hand is a lot more difficult to understand naaman is the thanos character is the voldemort character is close to the hitler character than this poor little old widow and yet elisha still goes to Naaman and Jesus still points to Elisha going to Naaman as an example of how God wants to come and show favour and show healing and show goodness even to the enemies of Israel because Naaman's not a particularly nice guy he is in the Syrian army he's a general in the Syrian army a leader in the Syrian army now the Syrian nation was a nation that was attacking Israel and Naaman is leading that attack and therefore he is key in persecuting and killing and destroying the nation of Israel the Naaman himself is quite arrogant and quite rude doesn't want to follow instructions that he's given about washing himself to to gain access to his healing so you get this kind of sense of entitlement the 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 king of the Syrian nation wants Naaman to be healed and taken care of because he's important to him and therefore there's this idea of entitlement from Naaman so Naaman is not somebody who the Jewish people liked And secondly he's actually an enemy of the Jewish people and yet Jesus points to this guy about Elisha healing him, the enemy. And therefore we're starting to build up this picture aren't we of just why um, this crowd, this audience, this Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to want to throw him off a cliff because he is changing the story. He is leading them to a point of going this is what God's heart is this is what the Messiah has come to do, to enable us and lead us to a point of loving our enemies, even our enemies, as difficult and as challenging and as offensive to us as someone like Naaman. So we've left the pulpit now. We're on top of a cliff, and I often hope that I'm the one with Jesus where people are trying to push me over the cliff, but I often think I'm probably the one pushing. Because when I start to really comprehend what it is Jesus is saying, when I start to really shift my attention think actually this is incredibly offensive. Those people that have done me wrong, have harmed me, have, have mistreated me, that I see in society doing so many ills. How can Jesus, you point to them and say, I'm going to come and bring healing to their body. I'm going to come provide for them when they're, when they're out um, on the edges of society and done some terrible things. How can that be fair? It's not. To me, Jesus, they're, they're wrong. They're evil. They're, they, they don't deserve anything good. And yet Jesus is shifting the whole system on his head. He's saying that as we love our enemies, that doesn't exclude them being held to account. It doesn't exclude them paying the kind of dealing with and cleaning up their messes. It doesn't exclude them being held responsible for their actions. Justice isn't excluded from mercy, it's in the same place. Peace isn't excluded from truth. They exist in the same locality. And yet, when we show that love, when we show that mercy, something miraculous happens. A good friend of mine said that this is such a wise statement to love our enemies. Because when we love our enemies, our enemies are destroyed. Not in vengeance or in in punishment, but because our enemies are destroyed as they become our friends. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge that we face in this whole idea of living visible. This whole idea of demonstrating the love of God from our homes all the way to the extremes that we find ourselves in. When we start to think about loving those people who have done us wrong. Or have changed and shifted society in a negative way. That's where the light has to come. That's where we have to start to see clearly and realise that Jesus is completely changing the narrative. And he doesn't leave us there isolated. He doesn't leave us in a space of going, now just love them. He comes alongside us by the Holy Spirit to enable us. To give us everything we need to be able to love the people that we originally found the most unlovely, those who have done us most harm, that when we find ourselves in those spaces and realize actually what the task Jesus is asking us to do is, suddenly we go, God, I can't do this on my own. And we put our places and ourselves in that place of humility, that place of dependence on him, where he says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are burdened, all of you who can't do it anymore, and I will give you rest. I will be the one that walks alongside you. I will be one that's with you, helping you, leading you, guiding you when you can't do it on your own. And we can't. And I think in this place, of realising just what he's asking us to do, is the place where we open ourselves up. And then therefore in the place where sometimes, just maybe, we can live visible more than anywhere else. And in doing so, maybe make 2021 and beyond the best year yet.